The story of my name, Michelle. Uh, so, so it's a um, it works for both genders, right? And I think that was the the plan was more for the name than for the the gender of the kid, uh, from my mom's perspective. So she wanted she wanted a kid called Michelle, and uh, didn't really matter what uh, what gender it turned out. So yeah, she always had that name in mind. You Welcome to the Creative Leadership Podcast. My name is Rod. And my name is Mark. And today we have Michelle Zappa. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for having me. You're a self-declared futurist? Um, I'm a self-declared futurist, which means that I've been claiming to be a futurist for way longer than I've been accredited as one. Nowadays, I'm also an actual, like, technically a futurist, which means I'm, you know, part of the, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, sort of the futurist societies. But uh, but self-declared in terms of um, I've 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 been state I've been claiming to be to be in, into futures by means of making statements about how I think things will unfold in the future, and then sort of trying to be right uh, more often than I'm wrong about it, um, which is uh, which means you have to sort of you have to know what you're reading and know how to read between the lines I suppose um, to to make to make these claims. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And the, that, is that the main thing that you do for a living? The main thing that I do for a living nowadays is sort of running an organization in this space. So it's not so much the futures itself, uh, although that's always exciting, but it's more about how can we scale up the futures thinking um, literally, literally by building a platform around it. So when we talk about futures, it's very focused on the technology aspect of it. Um, there are many types of futures, but we, we absolutely center in on you know how will technologies unfold where are they now where are they going etc and um so that's always been the focus that's the focus today and specifically it's scaling that up as as a viable uh business model which today means we you know we do we do engagements um with organizations looking at their particular sector or or industry but in the near in the near future that means sort of offering futures thinking in technology as a service things like this place you can go to read about um, technology intelligence the way we call it uh, in a systemic and structured place um, and so my challenge is just getting that off the ground basically that's why I think is so helpful and tell us just in very short bullet points three reasons why you do what you do one because no one else is doing it that's always been the case, as in, like, I do this, I know this is not a short bullet point, but uh, I do this because, like, I, it's, 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 I'm scratching my own itch. It's a service I've been looking, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intelligence that I've been looking for that isn't really out there. So because no one else is doing it as part of it, too, because the world needs it, um, I think there's so much happening in this space. Like, there's, there's so many directions that the future can unfold, and most of them are related to technology, um, that it, it's... The need seems to be growing by the minute. Uh, that's the, that's the feeling I have. Uh, and three, I think it's just exciting. Uh, it's always there's always something new on the horizon, right? It never gets boring in tech. We get the fun uh, the fun job of deciding which one we want you to talk about more. So let's see if we can agree on that. Uh, I like the third one. I like the idea of exciting. I want to hear what that means. Absolutely. For me, yeah. it's all about the shiny eyes. And right. Unfortunately, our listeners can see it. But yeah. It's all shiny uh, eyes. Definitely shiny eyes. So, so now you have time to talk more about what you find exciting about it or how you define that. Well, what I find exciting about it is that it's, it's, 
it's difficult for us to sort of wrap our head around what's actually happening in a very paradoxical way. Uh, Alvin Toffler called it future shock, right? The, the notion of sort of that we feel uneasy with our current state of affairs because there's simply so much happening. And he claimed this in the 60s. So, I mean, the notion of being future shocked has been around for over half a century. Um, and we're still sort of grasping with, with, with this issue. Um, and I think we can all feel it that there's, you know, there's way more information that we can process. There are way more decisions that we have to make than we can possibly, you know, rationally actually do. And I think this applies increasingly to more and more people. Um, and of course, technology s sort of underpins all of that. And I think what makes it exciting is we actually have sort of an opportunity to wrap our heads around it. We actually have an opportunity to understand what the heck's going on, um, to try to make sense of it. And um, to me, that sense making comes through a very structured database approach because that's that, you know that's the language that I know how to speak, um, if you will. But uh, but the, I think the excitement comes from like just being having the opportunity to uh, to to you know to broadcasting. Um, this uh, this information to uh, to more people. Do you ever get future shocked yourself? Huh. I not so much through my own eyes, but I see it in others. So not really. I can't I can't think of the last time that I felt future shocked. Um, sometimes I mean there's there's like depressing future shock when you when you arrive at an airport and like there's no people. It's just machines. To like to check your uh, your passport or to buy your tickets. I mean, we it, which is convenient, of course, but it's like it's also a type of like uh, depressing future shock, I suppose, because uh, they've all been replaced by you know, by robots, effectively. Um, but we, I think we all we all get that to, to an extent. Um, but shocking, shocking, not enough, I think. Um, what, what would you say are the symptoms of future shock? Like, uh, if you were the doctor analyzing the patient who is in future shock, what I, would you see? Anxiety, I think, is a big issue. Uh, of course, people can be anxious without technology, obviously. But um, but I think a good symptom is like people when you yeah, when you feel out of control to an effect. Um, I think that's part of it, and also sort of the general feeling of unease because of I want to say the multitude of things going on around you. FOMO is is a t is, is related to it. Um, again, you can have FOMO without you know, technology and without the future, but I think the future tends to cause a very similar uh, feeling, which is, you know, I, I, I can't understand what's happening. Um, I, I'm trying to keep up as much as possible. I'm swimming, swimming as fast as I can, but I'm being dragged, you know, by the current. I think that's the, that should qualify the feeling. And if you think about as as creative leaders, we're trying to shape that future. And often in the program, we talk about the bipolar focus, right? You want to have a long-term, very clear vision. And then you want to be iterative and creative in navigating your way towards that vision. Now, as you, you're growing your company and you're trying to scale this um, way of thinking, this way of helping people make sense of the future, what is your big vision? And what are the experiments that you're doing today to figure out how to get to that vision? Sure, it's using technology for, um, to, to get the kind of reach or the kind of depth that you could not get 
by means of human labor. Let's call it that. Uh, and platforms, I mean, we throw that term around a lot, but I think platforms are the strongest model for doing that today. So it's the Platforms are the stickiest uh, real estate that we have, right? It's the, the operating systems through which our lives depend on. That's why social, you know, effectively, that's why social networks are so powerful. Not only because everyone's on them, but because they, they become versatile to the point where you can actually do things. There's so many things on them. Why does this matter? Because what we're trying to achieve in building our own platform, uh, obviously, is, is to reach that kind of scale and impact that would be much more difficult to achieve um, by, you know, traveling around the world, uh, giving lectures and, and, and workshops, what have you. Um, I believe that that's, I think that's why the platform paradigm is, is so powerful. And also, you're never really in control of a platform. You, you, you create the framework and you create the technology uh, that allows other people to do things. And that's, that's, what, I, that's, that's what I think makes it so, uh, so relevant. Um, and with that in mind, that's exactly what we're trying to achieve. I mean, we're trying to figure out, so given the problem of there's a lot of technology, we don't know where it's heading, let, you know, let's try to shed some light on the future. Given that problem, like, then we started asking, who should be on it? What should they be doing? What are the, you know, what are the killer features for academic researchers in order for them to reach the journalists who will be at the other end looking for new stories to cover? Um, or on a, in, a, in a different way, you know, what are, um, what are the challenges for the innovation uh, director, the, you know, the CIOs um, and the R&D people? What are their challenges that can be addressed using the same logic? Um, so that's what I, that's what we're trying to do, and I, and it's using technology for that. One hundred percent, hundred percent. Do you find that when you that when you have this conversation with those CEOs, there's there's maybe a different language that you need that you're both speaking, and you need to find a common one. So for this, so get to hang out more with CIOs, or at least in the innovation space, um, and um, there seems to be shared concern. I'd say people are aware of the same. Uh, issues and I think these are these are you know these are banner issues. It's like so, what will AI do to jobs? What will uh, automation do to our future? Like those kinds of questions um, are bouncing around everywhere. And the truth is, nobody knows. Nobody has this figured out. Um, there are no experts in this field, uh, at least of what the implications will be. There are experts in term at, at, at let's call it the lower levels. The experts who actually know how to implement, say, machine learning or blockchain or, or anything else. Those are you know the the experts at implementation, the engineers, that's one thing. But when you start talking to people who are looking at the implications, it's, 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 it's a wild card. Nobody has the faintest clue how this will unfold, which makes it so exciting because we're, we're all sort of grasping blindly in the dark. I'm wondering, uh, you went through the creative leadership program. We all consider you a creative leader. I don't know if you consider yourself one, but what would you say your strength and weaknesses are as a creative leader? Oh man, um, I think being attuned to the creative leadership mentality can easily become a liability if you spend too much time in the uh, in in sort of in the realm of possibility. And I think what 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 unites thinkers to a degree, at least that I identify with uh, most strongly, is sort of this is is to live with our heads in the clouds. Um, and I think that's even part of the the canvas bag, right? Uh, head in the clouds, feet on the ground, heart. Where's the heart? Forget that. Um, but um, 
the so so with regards to that, it's it, it easily becomes a liability because you, because as a creative leader in my own role, I suppose you you can become you can you can you can stick your vision so far out there, like in the third horizon, and like not leave the third horizon to the degree that it can easily sort of consume all the goodwill um, of the things that need to happen in, in your organization on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's probably my personal biggest struggle. I don't know if that's a quality or, uh, or not, but it's definitely something that I, that I have to reckon with because inevitably we're looking at what, what will be possible you know, 50 years in the future or 20 years in the future for the world, um, which means that for the company, we're also sort of straddling that line all the time. Like, oh, we have to do this, we have to do that. Um, which all organizations organizations go through, obviously. But I think we just, I tend to push that a little bit further, or, or not even that. It's more like I tend not to. I don't. I don't leave that horizon three that easily. You have to really dial it back and look at okay, what's okay, what's happening now that might be more important because otherwise there is no future. How many employees or, or colleagues work, do you work with? It's about a dozen who are more sort of full time and another few dozen who are on and off. So on a project, we might have 20, 25 people, but a project will then last six to nine months, um, and most of those people come and go. Um, what we call the core team, the people who are technically aware of everything that's going on, is about is just six people. Um, and then each person, of course, has their own uh, team working with them. And I'm curious, especially with this core team, yeah. do you use any of the uh, tools or competencies that you gained during your uh, class four experience? I should do more of that. Um, I, I mean, definitely as in, in terms of sort of developing the notion of being a leader, absolutely. It wasn't clear to me what, you know, what leadership was. I was just like, oh, I'm this kid who just happened to try building a company and like, let's wing it and see what happens. Um, that definitely changed after the program. So I became much more aware of sort of the consequences of my actions. Um, and I think that, is, that, is, that, was, that was quite transformative into understanding that, okay, so, you know, what are the responsibilities of a leader? Because that was, a, that was very unclear to me. Um, Skill-wise or tool-wise, um, I'm not a big tool user. I, uh, I, I really wing it intuitively, perhaps more than I should. Sometimes it feels like I, like, I lack uh, vocabulary or or a frame of reference of how to do certain things. Um, and when that happens, which is frequent, um, just wing it and figure it out on the spot. And what, what will you say, thinking back about your class, you were class number four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what's your best memory from Think? And it might even be, you've been involved in so many classes that it's not even your own class, but something else. What's your best memory from Think? Well, my best memory is my class. Uh, that was because... So it's one thing to be invited in as uh, as an outsider. I think so. All the firsts were quite memorable in, in a way that the first time that I came in with, with class two in uh, I want to say Jan or Feb two thousand thirteen, it was mind blowing that you could actually hang out for like forty eight hours with all of these amazing people who have flown in and they have all these crazy projects and crazy ideas and they, they and they just want to lap everything that you know. That you've been thinking about, they want to lap it up and use it. That was mind blowing in its own right, and that thankfully that's been 
very much the case ever since. Um, every you know every every time that I come in as an outsider or faculty or whatever, um, that's the case where it's just so rewarding to hang out with people who uh, who who have all of these amazing amazing projects. But likewise, the class four experience of going out um, to, uh, to to the islands that was mind blowing in its own right because that was about getting about leveling um, and about being in sort of in, in the same sphere as uh, as the people who are who are who are facing these challenges and that changes you right that changes the change the way you look at yourself because you the moment you start leveling with people you're you, you're 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 literally trying to achieve the same thing um, albeit in a different you know, in a different sector a different country for different purposes but two you're trying to express your particular vision of how the world should work and you're doing that with people who are struggling with exactly the same things you are uh, to an extent so that was a powerful transformative experience. Being on the island was, is the most memorable memorable aspect of it. Getting on the bus at 7 a.m., uh, almost losing the bus, kind um, of find the right spot. And um, so, and, and of course, being out there for the weekend. I mean, all of that was, was so memorable. So like, it's, it's, it's physically imprinted in the body, I guess. Right, that brings us to our lightning round. It sure does. And the, the definition of lightning round is we're going to ask you some fast questions, and we want some fast answers. We recognize the fact that you are uh, a thinker, and you have your own spectrum of influences, and so we want to quickly know what's what's happening right now with you. Uh, and our first question is, if you could recommend a particular book. A particular book? I just read The Three-Body Problem um, by... Um... I'm not going to get the name right, so I'll just keep it at the three-body problem, which is a wonderful piece of Chinese sci-fi um, that has been that really made the rounds the last year or two, as of like um, that 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 presents a very different worldview. It's about alien invasion, but it's not really about that. It's about you know what would happen if if a non-Western um, uh, society engaged with the invading forces, and that's it's that's very eye-opening. And then your favorite TV uh, show or movie that you recently saw? Okay, so the, the thing that sticks, the most recent movie that I watched that really stuck with me was Annihilation on Netflix um, with Natalie Portman. I just saw that. Can you describe its form? No. Was it cotton based or? I don't know. What did it want? I don't think it wanted anything. But it, it attacked you. It mirrored me. I attacked it. I'm not sure it even knew I was there. It came here for a reason. It was mutating our environment. It was destroying everything. It wasn't destroying who is changing everything. So yeah, Annihilation. Partly because the story is, I mean, the, the story of how it, ended up, how it ended up on Netflix is funny because like it, the, the movie was too conceptual according to the test audiences that they figured like, oh no, just let's just put it on streaming and see what happens instead of get, giving it wide release. And it's just like a metaphorical, metaphorical like beautiful, colorful, um, immersive piece of sci-fi. 
So there's, there's a strong theme of sci-fi, if you haven't picked it up. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a theme of sci-fi. Have you heard of this thing called Star Wars? Seems like the kids are really into it. I think it's a new thing, right? It's a new thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People really like it. I'm curious if you have any musical uh, inspiration that you would like to, uh, to give the listeners. Anything uh, you're listening to at the moment? I've been listening to uh, Child, uh, Childish Gambino's This Is America on loop because it's so... It's wonderful, It's yeah. so punchy. Um, and the video, of course. Uh, I think it, 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 it got all the attention it deserved. I gotta carry him. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is Gorilla. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go get the bag. Yeah, yeah, or I'ma get the bag. What so what specifically about that that, that really excites excites because, you? Why is it on loop for you? Because it punches you in the face or in the gut or wherever you're more sensible, I suppose. Because it talks about something that is so uh, it talks about one of the social issues. I mean, it's obviously something I don't even relate to. I mean, I don't I don't I don't run as far as I know, I don't run the risk of, you know, of, of, of gun violence or anything of the sort. But the fact that he can talk about it in such a powerful, clear, visual, uh, visual, engaging way uh, really works for me. And also, like, I think music videos have gotten boring, uh, like really dull for a while, at least the ones that I've been tracking. And suddenly, like, this is noisy and this is in your face. And uh, it, get, it really gets the message across. And, it, and most importantly, it stirs a dialogue around it. And I think that's what, that's what makes it powerful. It's not just the music, it's not just the video, it's the fact that people are talking about it and actually challenging some of the underlying social problems that sit behind it. Um, it's when you, when you look at that and you realize, oh, I know the problems that I'm working on, they're like, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing because um, there's some way more serious things that need to be fixed in the world. And then finally, we are very excited about rituals practices, habits. So what's a daily practice or a habit that you're really proud of that you think others might want to Okay, great question. Uh, that's something I do uh, emphasize personally and I, I think uh, two things. Uh, sun salutations. I do Surya Namaskar, which is a sort of a, 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 a self-contained exercise. You do it in your yoga mat. You don't even need a big hotel room. You can do it anywhere. So sun salutations every morning. It really it gets your blood flowing, your breathing in place, uh, fixes a lot of things supposedly with your body. And I do intermittent fasting, so I don't really I don't eat for sixteen hours a day. Or in other words, I concentrate all my eating into eight hour windows. So I have lunch and dinner basically, uh, and then I don't have anything until the next lunch. And uh, I've been doing that for about a year, and it's um, it, it it pays some really interesting dividends. Uh, some of them are, you know, super superficially really nice. Like you, you, you start shedding like weight, like fatty weight, which is nice. But also, you, your your head clears up in a really interesting way, and you start sort of longing for the for the fasting state when you eat. It's funny. You stop being hungry after three days, um, and you just and you know you don't you, you stop getting hungry. Like period, you no longer get hungry um, because hunger is is mostly related to the the amount of sugar in your blood. It's about your glucose levels. Um, so once they stabilize, you stop getting hungry and you just, and you eat with much more conscience. So you eat less, um, you eat with more awareness and you just feel very, very differently. So, um, and that is a daily thing. You can't, you don't really want to stop doing it. Once you start doing those things, it's like, yeah, this is, I'll do this until the day I die. 
For what it's worth, during this podcast, you've eaten 36 donuts. I've kept track of it. Well, nobody told well, you to, to bring them in, right? It's part that of your eight hours of eating, yeah. so that's okay. That's it's continuous. Uh, I don't know where you got them from, right? <laughs> you just, yeah, you brought them in, you yeah. open a Dunkin' Donuts yeah. right next door. Right, right next door. That's where we do the podcast. It's the Nine Streets Donuts. <laughs> Michelle Zappa, thank you very much. This was the uh, Creative Leadership Podcast, and my name is Rod. And my name is Mark, and I want to thank everybody for listening. A shout out to our sponsors, <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs>